Now, if you survey the New Testament, you will realize that a lot of material uh, is written by Apostle Paul. It's much attributed to him. Now, as I study more and more the New Testament, it is quite fascinating to find out and to know that this, the gospel is not really meant to be an exclusive religion or a very private faith just for a few fanatics to practice and, and proclaim. No, 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 it's not. It is very much the opposite. In the early church, the gospel presented itself to be a very social, very communal, very uh, open, reaching out to young and old, male and female, even children. It reaches out to all levels of society, from prostitutes to high churchmen like Apostle Paul himself. Jesus ate with sinners. He healed the sick, reached out especially to the poor and needy. Jesus chose his disciples from all walks of life to represent him, to do his work. See, it's not their qualifications that qualify them for the job. Neither is it their sinful lifestyle that disqualify them from receiving God's grace. What does this mean? This means that anyone and everyone can come to God and God can use you just about where you are in society. All he needs is your obedient heart. So the more I read Paul's letters, and if you, you can go through and read it for yourself, um, the more I'm convinced that the gospel is very social. Now, I know for some of us here, it is very hard to understand the Bible without a good commentary or even a study Bible. So, uh, and you struggle with your readings. It helps if you join a cell group and a small group to uh, come together weekly just for a short time to study the Word. But let me encourage you to start reading Paul's letters, probably Ephesians, since we're covering it, or even the book of First uh, Corinthians. It's very practical. Many of us here, in our time now, we are far more educated than the times of uh, the ancient uh, church or the early church in, in, in when Paul was writing these letters too. We understand it much better. And Paul writes very practical uh, letters to um, the church then. It must be easy to understand to the common men. Many of them are illiterate. And have them circulated around the churches so that they will learn how to be effective Christians, not just for themselves, but to shape the entire community. So many of the people in the first generation church, they are new converts. They have no idea what is the Christian life like. It is new to them. Paul's letters and instructions is the only way they know how to grow and eventually, by practicing Christianity, it had a positive impact on society. The church today, all of us here, we are beneficiaries of what the early church does in terms of their practice of Christianity. The letter to Ephesians, uh, the Ephesian church, is one such letter, very readable, easy to understand, extremely practical, and highly relational. Why? Because if you want to love God, you must be relational. You can't detach yourself from loving one another. 
If you want to worship God, especially in truth, you know, from inside, and I say, Lord, I want to worship you in truth within your spirit, you must come to Him obediently and be very honest and vulnerable. Finally, of course, if you profess that you belong to God as His child, you can't just know His word and do nothing. You must, you are forced to grow in Christian character. And you have to show good works in society. And that proves your relationship with God. So this year, our church team is... For the hard people, uh, these people here, totally silent, you know. They are just, I have no idea. I just zombified them or whatever. Okay. Hypnotized, is it? No. This is the year of... Loving God, not knowing God. Loving God is the back of bulletin. <laughs> Love God. Next year is loving one another. Lord, I failed you, so sorry. <laughs> forgive me. Okay, forgive them too. Now, anyway, so, as I continue on the sermon series on Ephesians 4, I've been talking about this for a long time. Ways to love God. There's a strong emphasis on Ephesians 4, 7, Ephesians 4, 17. We went through it verse by verse, point by point, as Christians, how we put on our new self in Christ to be different from the world. The early church, they are Christians. They are forerunners for God's kingdom. They went ahead. They prepared the way and they showed the way of God's kingdom, especially in the area of social holiness. So today we look at verse 28, how Christians are called to be a positive influence in society. It is the third out of four issues that I've been speaking through where I believe Christians often struggle in the public place to show righteousness and holiness. I've covered falsehood, which is lying and dishonesty. I've covered anger. Uh, I promised to cover integrity, but as I prepared the message, I realized that this is beyond the integrity of believers. It, it is social holiness. So I'll change it to social holiness, which is more appropriate. So as we hear God's word, may the Lord be with you. Let us read scripture. And I'm going to invite you to read it together with me. Come. Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 28, together. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but they must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. These are the words of God. Will you join me in prayer? Father, teach us to know your ways and to obey your call as we study your holy word. Humble your servant today and may the words of my mouth be clear and the meditations of all our hearts here be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now there are three parts in what we have read just now. Let's take a look at the first part. It says here, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Then it goes on to say the other two parts, those who steal, uh, uh, you must work and do something useful with your hands. Okay? First part here. Some of us here, immediately looking at this, they will say, hey, it doesn't apply to me. I'm not a thief, so never mind. Okay? Uh, I just skip. It's not applicable. 
Now, let me say this. If Paul's intent in writing this is to address the community of thieves, uh, he won't be writing to the church, you know. Don't believers know it is wrong to steal? All of us here know. There will be laws in the society. Almost every society I know had laws, including the early church, against stealing. Even from the times of ancient civilization, as far back as Old Testament civilization, stealing has always been a punishable offense under the civil law. In the times of uh, Greece, maybe some of us know, in, at Paul's writing, Paul, uh, uh, sorry, Greece, we know that punishment for theft include repayment of the item stole, uh, stolen, or maybe replacement if one of equal value, to even flogging. And in some places like Athens, one might even be executed. Today, we still have some places practicing some of the very harsh punishment for stealing. You can think about it. So what was Paul thinking of when he was writing this? Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. It is a given. It is against the law. Why does he, have to, why does he even write such a statement? Well, it turns out that Paul is not writing to address the Christian thieves. Do you think there are Christian thieves? As if the thieves, after hearing this message, they will come for altar ministry. I'm so sorry, I repent and confess and ask for prayer. Then they go off, you know. No. Paul's not doing that. Paul is writing to the church to address Christians of their conduct, their lifestyle in the marketplace in society, in the public square. Today we use the term marketplace a lot okay, uh, in the secular world. The issue is not a few people in church. Rather, it is the normative lifestyle, how they live life as per you know, uh, culture in those days. The problem is the culture. That's the issue. So what does stealing look like? in the times of Greece. Okay? Uh, I use the term ancient Greece, but this is not the, the Greece in ancient time, in the time of Sparta. Okay? It is the Greece in the Roman time uh, when Paul was writing his letters. Professor William Barclay, um, he's a professor in divinity in the University of Glasgow. Um, he passed on quite some time, and he wrote one of the most easy to read commentaries that stealing in the ancient world was very common. And there were two places usually people would steal from. And he said this. The first one was in the docks, D-O-C-K-S, or marketplace, public place. They would steal food. Uh, and you will see in some shows it's quite common and it still happens today. They would steal food. And the second place was in Greece itself is in the bathroom. You know, bathrooms, okay, or uh, public bath places. They were still personal belonging, belonging to uh, personally like clothes and toiletries. Now, public baths, are, they were quite common in the times of Greece, uh, in Greece and in those times. And that's where the thieves would come 
while they are showering, they will swipe their wallet, they will swipe their towels, and they are swipe everything else while they are showering, you know. Okay? And it's not uncommon in those days, it's not uncommon to see people running in the streets chasing after a thief totally naked. Okay? Uh, it's not uncommon. Just for your info, the Olympics, you know the Olympics, right? It started out in Greece in those times. And back then, the athletes competed totally naked. Go Google, you will know. Okay? Anyway, nudity is not the topic of our talk today. Okay? Uh, it is not an issue in a time of ancient Greece. And I'm not going to say anymore. Now, what is my point? What am I driving at? What I'm saying is stealing, stealing itself, uh, stealing and being dishonest is a way of life. It's a way of life. In fact, dishonest dealings, falsehood, anger, deceit, robbery are part and parcel of society. Do you think this exists today? Do you think it is still here today? What do you think? Let me share this illustration I came across, written by a pastor. And you tell me if it's still possible, if there are thieves in church. He wrote this. He wrote this. Now, shortly after finishing theological studies, my wife and I decided we need a better car. Now, unable to afford a new one, we agreed to buy a used one, a good used car. Now, at a certain car dealer, we thought we found a car. It had a nice coat of paint, good tires, a speedometer reading reading of about 10,000 kilometers. The sales agent told us that the car had belonged to a reputable uh, reputable company in a city that had been that the car has been used to drive only short distances from downtown offices to industrial plant within the same town. A test drive satisfied us, so we bought the car. It was foolish on my part that only after I make complete payment that I asked my friend, mechanic, a mechanic friend to check it out. His report was appalling. He said the car had been wrecked a few times, showed me where the frame of the car had been straightened, spray paint on the body under the car, uh, uh, the body of, under the hood was evident that it had been repaired. Now, judging by the wear and tear in the front wheel bearing, my friend estimated that the car had been driven not 10,000 kilometers, but at least 80,000 kilometers, which was quite high mileage in those days. This dealer had robbed us. Not by sticking a gun in our face, but through lies and false dealing. Now we were stuck. The story doesn't end there. And he wrote, One year later, I was a pastor in another town. The car was giving us so much trouble that we decided to trade in for a new car. So I told the agent, a new agent, the truth about the car right down to the very last detail. Soon after, he sold it to another unsuspecting customer. And this time, he told them, this car was driven by my pastor. The the buyer thought, wow, pastor's car, so must be quite okay. Immediately bought the car, drove it across the country. 
A few weeks later, he returned, the car barely surviving with his front wheel totally slanted at an angle. The bearings of the wheel were gone. He had many other troubles with the car. The story didn't stop there. The pastor continued to write and says, this man went to the sales agent and said, didn't you tell me this car belonged to your pastor? I'd like to have his name and address now. I'd like to see how did he drive just for a few hundred kilometers, uh, sorry, a few, a few hundred kilometers, he completely wear his whole car out. Do you think the culture of stealing is still a way of life today? What do you think? In the times of Greece, majority of the people live this way. And since the majority of the people are poor and needy, quite a few of them were slaves or servants, and they belonged to the lower strata of society. If not for stealing, cheating, dishonesty, they cannot survive. They have to resort to such means. So let's come back to see what Paul is dealing with here. What do you think Paul is dealing with? He is dealing with a culture problem, a culture issue. It's the issue of the times. And he is getting the Christians to do something about it. That's what he's writing here. You following me so far? Are you following me so far? Church, yeah, yeah. I need more response from them. Okay, anyway, so let's go on. And Paul says this. Paul says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work and do something useful with their hands. Now, if Paul's intent was to address a particular group of sinners, really, if his intent was just to address the Christian thieves, eh, okay, he would be very harsh, you know, because he is known to use words very, very uh, critical, like how he did it to the, uh, the Corinthians church, that he says this, uh, like neither thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkard, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't you know? He would use this kind. Or he would even probably use the words of Jesus in John 10.10 10, to say, stealing is like the devil. The thief comes to steal, kill, destroy. So if you steal, you are like the devil. But Paul did not say any of it here. He didn't. Instead, according to Professor William Barclay, instead of a harsh rebuke, Paul suggested a new idea and a new ideal, what they should be. He said, if you have been surviving by the means of using your hands to steal, cheat, deceive, or by falsehood or any dishonest means, Paul says, steal no more. Instead, work. In other words, work and earn your living with honesty and integrity. Now, this might seem very like given, no? but not in those days. To the poor, this is shocking. This is really shocking. Do you know why? Because many of them were used to stealing as a survival uh, trait. No? They needed it to survive. 
They are so used to being dishonest and deceitful from young, it is extremely difficult to change. Just like how difficult it is for us to get people into Bible study today, okay? or disciple classes, it is very difficult, almost impossible. It is a paradigm shift. It goes against the culture of the poor, which is the larger part of the church. I don't know if you are getting this, but at the back of those who were reading his words, this is the big question. This is the big issue. And if you were them, you would think about it as well. It will be like that. Paul, you don't understand. Ah. I make more money stealing than working. It is easier to steal than work. This is my livelihood. You are asking me to give up my career, my, the way I live and survive. Who is going to feed my kids? Not enough, you know, with my lesser pay if you ask me to work. I got a family to provide. Now you see where we are going? Why is this an issue? So how? Fortunately, Paul didn't stop there. He said something even more amazing. He said this, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. They must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. The third part is the most important, crucial. This is amazing because in this one statement, it is Paul's vision and strategy for the gospel in life, in society. All of us here are called to live like that. He is telling these people, the way to solve your poverty is not by stealing, not by lying, it's not via a deceitful way of life or a dishonest way of life, but by honest working and generous giving. And he's saying this, everyone has a place in society to work regardless of who you are. Some will produce 34, some will produce 64, some 104, some will grow one talent, some five talents, some ten talents. The way to solve poverty and improve society as a whole is through honesty and integrity. But when there's a culture of working and giving, giving is important. That's what Paul is saying here. No longer steal. But do something useful. With those hands, do something useful. Work. Don't just work. So that you can provide for those in need. And share it. That is culture changing. Paradigm shift. I'm getting a bit excited. But uh, it's Holy Communion Sunday. I don't have time to elaborate further. But I have a lot of reflections. Even as I was studying this passage and dropping it down. I'll just give it to you free of charge. Eh? Okay? <laughs> I'll give you my reflections and you can do this at home when you think about this sermon. You can uh, have your own reflection points. This is not exhaustive. These are just something that I came up with. You can add on to it. I think Paul is trying to say a lot in this statement and throughout the entire passage of Ephesians 4. I'll talk you through it. You don't have to take it down. If it hits you, 
you can just take a photo or whatever, okay? Uh, so they can remember. You can do this yourself at home as you reflect on today's sermon. Just some reflections so far. First thing that came to me was God's strategy to solve poverty and improve society is the church. Is the church. And what I mean, uh, church doesn't mean the building or an institution. Eh? Okay? It's, not, it's not. The church is the people of God. You and me, we are the church. We go out into the marketplace, into society, in the workforce, at home, in school, at car park, simply living out our lives in obedience to the gospel. Really in just in obedience. You serve God not just in church, but everywhere else. Be that positive testimony. I think that's the way God wants us to improve society. Second, the gospel is relevant for everyone in society. Everyone. It doesn't matter whether you are a successful person or you are the poor. The gospel calls out to everyone in life, in every walk of life. Whether you are a thief or a judge, tax collector or teacher, prostitute or a nurse, or even a homemaker, the gospel is for you. It calls the thief not to steal anymore. It calls the judge to be righteous in dealings. It calls the teacher, do not stumble in your teaching, especially the young and the vulnerable. It calls the prostitute, forgiven, go and sin no more. It calls the doctor to heal, not to kill. It calls tax collectors, businesses, business people in marketplace to be honest in your dealings. The gospel is relevant for everyone in society. Christians are called to put off our old self, put on the new ways, the new conduct. Scripture is honest here. And Paul addressing to the church to say, Real believers, if you are real believers, you will struggle with sin. You don't deny its existence. You don't deceive yourself that they are not there. It is happening. You come honest. And righteousness is a daily decision. Every single moment, wherever you go, it is the responsibility of the Christian everywhere to practice righteousness. Daily, everywhere. We are called to put off our old ways. You have to, if you call yourself a child of God. You are forced to. Next thing. This is quite obvious too. The church and Christians are the moral beacon, moral beacon of society. Throughout history, just go study, read through history. The church has always been regarded as the moral beacon of society. It is responsible for maintaining order in the country. Because scripture teaches it. It presents itself. It proclaims the Christian life as a lifestyle of holiness that doesn't change over time. It is constant. We profess a moral and ethical standard that is not influenced by society or popular demand, you know, eh, or votes. No, it packs itself to a constant, an unchangeable constant, God. 
So the church and its people, until today, we are still expected to be good role models in society. And that's the reason why whenever a pastor or some people who is regarded highly falls, uh, headline news straight away. Very, very big deal. We are expected to be representation of good moral standards across generations in society. Next. For me, biblical work. Work only becomes biblical when it's balanced with giving. Now, Working hard to earn all you can is not wrong. I'm going to say this. Listen carefully to those who are working. Working hard to earn all you can is not wrong. But as far as the early church were concerned and how Christians live out their lives, they were not known by how much they earn. No. In the early church, they were known by how much they gave away of what they earned. That made them Christians. And that is what being Methodist is all about. Social holiness is God's call to the church. It is a Methodist distinctive. Our Methodist social principles are found in our Methodist church website. And I took this, uh, and I took this directly of them. The early Methodists cared for the underprivileged and marginalised. Methodist classes collected money, food, medicine for the poor. Societies like WSCS, which is uh, we are going, which what we are remembering today, WSCS Sunday. They started schools for poor children, orphanages, and clinics. Now John Wesley himself even spent a lot of his time trying to understand the causes of poverty, encourage hard work, challenge the rich to help the poor, and to find ways to eliminate poverty. He himself lived like this in his own words. Earn all you can, give all you can, save all you can. In however way you switch him around, it still works. Because he believed this, the gospel of Christ knows no religion but social. No holiness but social holiness. That's the reason why we are doing this study. So we are all here today as we study the series of ways to love God. My prayer is when you love God, don't just know His Word. Grow in Christian character and show good works social holiness. As we come for Holy Communion today, I want you to think about your own conduct in this way, in the area of righteous work and generous giving. You see, it is possible for Christians to remain in a condition of sin today as a way of life, but God's message here is that it is calling sinners like you and me to repentance and to bring change in society. The gospel accepts Everyone who loves God, and it's for everyone, it calls all to turn away from their sin in their wrong way of life to love God and practice social holiness. You see, when sinners put off their old ways through repentance, that's where the gospel really shines. That's where it gets its power from, and it doesn't just transform lives, it transforms societies. 
That's what the church is called to do. May this view of social holiness today, righteous work and generous giving, bless your heart. Let us pray. Father, forgive us for we have allowed the deceitful ways of the world and of our former self to rule our hearts. We have failed to recognize your truth and have elevated ourselves above you. Help us in our weakness. Teach us the importance of putting off our old ways and grant us courage to live out our new lives in society to bring you glory. As we come to your table today, remember how you accepted every single one of us without prejudice. May your love always be first in our hearts as to bear witness to one and all in the world and to serve you faithfully till you return. We pray this in the name of our Saviour, Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.